0: Good day, everyone. Welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. We're in episode weekly number 119. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane back in time 50 years to bring all the hockey news from that time period exactly as it was reported in some of the words of the greatest sports writers of all time. This week we're looking at February 21 to 27, 1972. If you like what we do here every week on the Hockey Podcast Network and every day on Twitter, you can help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to this podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, we have some really neat stuff and special content uh, that we put out a few times a month where we dive more deeply and in greater detail to the stories that dominated the hockey world 50 years ago. Uh, We have some uh, more special features for the Patreon folks planned this month, including uh, some really detailed uh, look at the WHA and its early days, especially the player draft and a lot of other things that were going on. A quick little personal update for me. Things get a little better here every day. We miss Fran's mom terribly, but we're comforted by the fact she left us exactly the way she wanted to go. Peacefully in her sleep, no suffering or other trauma. I'm still uh, experiencing lingering COVID effects. Mainly the brain fog and uh, a lot of fatigue, but it's a little better every day. So we begin the week uh, with a look at the NHL standings going into the final full week of February. And the Bruins now with a seven-point lead over the New York Rangers. The Bruins with a record of 42-8-9, the Rangers 38-11-10. Montreal Canadiens in third place but not really a threat eight back of the Rangers Uh, Detroit was 19 points back of Montreal tied with Toronto for fourth place but the Red Wings had the tiebreaker at that point in time with 25 wins to the Leafs 24 plus they had two games in hand way back out of playoff contention Vancouver and Buffalo fighting for the honor to be last. Vancouver at this point had played 57 games, had 37 points. Sabres had played three more, 60 games, and had one less point at 36. In the Western Division, Chicago now beginning to run away, 12 points up on the North Stars, who are in second place. Chicago 83, the North Stars 71. And then there's a huge drop back, the Seals, hanging on to third place with 49 points. The Blues had the fourth playoff spot, the final playoff spot with 48, but Philadelphia was only one point back with a game in hand at 47. And then Pittsburgh making a little bit of a run with 45 and the Kings with 39 well out of contention. We mentioned this at the end of last week's show, but the news really didn't get out until Monday morning of this week. I always like to start the week off with the trade, and the Leafs and the Rangers accommodated us in that fact. The Leafs... uh, acquiring forward pierre jari who had starred for the ottawa 67s in the oha junior a series uh, pierre was acquired from the rangers in exchange for defenseman jim dory the leafs finally tired of jim's act uh, i met jim quite a few years later at the home of mike wilson the ultimate leafs and really good guy i enjoyed my time i spent with him uh, and what we had—we had a good conversation about his days with the Leafs and the WHA. So the Leafs had gotten uh, Pierre Jerry for Jim Dory, was big news in Toronto and in New York. The rest of the league seemed to have sort of a ho-hum attitude about that particular deal. Another story uh, as the week began was the setting of a record for goal scoring by NHL rookies, and that was Sabres' first year man, Richard Martin. On the weekend, Martin fired his 39th goal of the season, surpassing the mark established just last season by teammate and linemate Gilbert Perot. So the Sabres have two rookie setting goal scoring records in consecutive seasons, and that had to bode well. For the future. Now, syndicated Canadian columnist Jim Coleman has a way with words, not always a way with the truth. We would find out from time to time, but Jim had this description of uh, Richard Martin. He says, even at this stage of his career, Martin reminds an observer of Rocket Richard who was primarily a shooter. The Rocket could fire the puck with tremendous speed and tremendous power even when he was off balance or when he was being clutched by two desperate defensemen. The speed with which Martin unloads the puck makes a profound impression on Bernie Boom Boom Jeffion who was sitting in the press box scouting Saturday's game for his employers in New York Rangers. Bernie flatly said Richard Martin has the best shot in the National Hockey League maybe he has the best shot I've ever seen that's rather heady praise coming from a man who shared with Rocket Richard the distinction of being the most violent shooter in the long history of the Montreal Canadiens after scoring 3 goals against the St. Louis Blues on Sunday, Seals defenseman Carl Vadney, that's right, defenseman scoring 3 goals, he topped that headline on Monday by advising anyone who would listen, actually reminding anyone who would listen that he definitely wanted to be traded. Actually, Vadney had had uh, a while ago expressed a desire, but there had been no movement on the request, and it seemed like it was sort of on the back burner but even though uh, he was not happy his play did not reflect that of a disgruntled employee so after the outstanding performance on the weekend with all the people around his locker during the uh, uh, post-game pressers from the reporters in the dressing room he reminded everyone that he wants to wear colors other than the kelly green and gold of the seals and that was pretty noteworthy and well, we'll just stay tuned for the rest of the week and see uh, maybe something's going on with that. Yet another Monday morning headline as I scan the newspapers uh, from this period 50 years ago. Brantford Nardofsky Steelers won a novice hockey tournament this past weekend over Don Mills of Toronto. I believe this one was in Whitby. The final score in the final game, 11-5, to for Brantford, Wayne Gretzky scoring six of the goals, and they didn't say so, but I think if I remember correctly, he probably had five assists in the game as well. The Brantford team played four games in the tournament; they won all four, and Gretzky scored twenty-one goals in the four games in which his team participated. Yeah, I think we're going to keep an eye on this little guy, scrawny and uh, slight of build as he is. He's only a kid. We'll see what happens as time goes on. Well, if you've been with us uh, for a while, then you know that in the last little while we've been talking about Toronto Maple Leafs goalie Bernie Perrant and all the rumors that he was going to jump to the World Hockey Association with a team called the Miami Screaming Eagles. Well, Monday, the story seemed to gain more legs with the reports in in several papers that Bernie was going to be signing a contract for sure with that team. The Global Mail's Dan Proudfoot had a story and we're going to give you that so you get an idea of exactly what we were hearing and experiencing at that time. Proudfoot writes that the signing of Bernie Perrant with the Miami Screaming Eagles of the World Hockey Association is imminent according to lawyer Howard Casper. Perrant probably will sign the contract in Miami next Sunday which is an off day for the Maple Leafs who are his current employers, of course. Jim Harrison, Jacques Plant, and other Toronto players are also among Casper's clients for, for contract negotiations, but Perrant will be the first NHL player to sign a WHA contract According to Mr. Casper, I'd like to clear the air regarding Bernard Marcel he said yesterday morning. Number one, a substantial offer has been made for his services. Number two, I've completed four to six weeks of negotiations and considerable investigation. And number three, I've just returned from Miami, Florida, where I've met the owner of the Miami Screaming Eagles, his attorney, and the league attorney. All legal technicalities have been cleared up and Bernie will sign for five years at least. He will sign for at least three quarters of a million dollars and get fringe benefits such as a new Continental Mark IV each year. Bernie is so well protected that even if the league doesn't get off the ground, he'll still get all the money and all the benefits. Well, as you can imagine, NHL President Clarence Campbell didn't have that sitting very well with him. He said in Toronto that NHL clubs will take whatever steps are necessary, including court action, to protect the contracts of their players. However, Maple Leaf Gardens president Harold Ballard was quoted a month ago as saying the Leafs would not stand in Perron's way if he could land a magnificent contract from the World Hockey Association. Campbell said yesterday, which was Monday, the Perron case is unique. Uh, Campbell went on to say he had a feeling that any effort to get an injunction against him or the opponent might be difficult because of the statements made by Harold Ballard. This is a big handicap, and you don't go into a lawsuit with a handicap. And this sounds to me like Mr. Campbell is doing damage control. And as time goes on, you'll find out why. Because uh, one thing I always noticed, uh, or always was impressed with, with Clarence Campbell was he seemed to know everything. He was very Uh, lawyerly, I guess you could say, in his uh, uh, performance of his duties as the president of the NHL. And he always gave you the impression that he knew exactly what was going on with everything he was talking about. And he was never surprised at what was going on. So he's trying to do damage control, saying, I can handle this as long as Ballard and people like him keep their big mouths shut. Well, Ballard, Uh, at the same time that Campbell was speaking, was saying to reporters... Quote, I said to Bernie, when your obligations are completed with the Maple Leaf Hockey Club, or I may have said Maple Leaf Gardens, the only thing I can do is wish you good luck. But I also told him to get his last week's salary from them guaranteed in a trust company or a bank. Ballard said that he thought that Perron had been offered between five hundred and six hundred thousand and $600,000 for five years, something like that. Now uh, Ballard says, I hear it's gone up nearly $800,000, meaning, of course, he wasn't really too uh, impressed with the way things were going, to say the least. But there's more on this, and we'll continue to talk about it. Alan Eagleson, who of course doesn't have his finger in this pie, did have a reaction. Eagleson, who of course is the president of the National Hockey League Players Association, said that if Bernie Prant signs with the Miami Screaming Eagles, it will start a veritable flood of NHL players to the new league. Eagleson was quoted as saying, if Perron announces he is signed, it'll be a major move not only for the WHA, but for every player in the NHLPA. And that's going to reduce the membership of the NHLPA. Won't it, Al? That might diminish your uh, little empire you're building, wouldn't it? Well, Eagleson said they've all been hanging back waiting for the first one to sign. I think we'll see Winnipeg start a major effort to sign Bobby Hall. If Winnipeg gets Hall, it would automatically become as good as most NHL franchises. Eagleson, again, uh, demonstrating his wide knowledge of how hockey is played and how one player makes a team. Perrant's lawyer, Howard Casper, had criticized Eagleson uh, Eagleson earlier because some of the stuff he thought he was said had said uh, he he apparently uh, said that Eagleson proclaiming Bernie Perrant was foolish uh, was a very stupid thing to say and uh, Eagleson responded by saying I never suggested Perrant was foolish. Eagleson did say, I have reservations about the Miami operation because it has indicated his rink is almost finished when really it hasn't even been started. I have advised, says Eagleson, all players to give serious consideration to any WHA offer provided it is funded properly. Milt Dunnell of the Toronto Star was apparently talking with Ballard uh, when he... uh, Received a telegram in his office From Mr. Casper uh, Perrant's agent It requested An immediate meeting With Ballard, Perrant And Casper Pallard looked at it Kind of uh, smirked And said Filed for future reference He tore up the telegram And dropped it in a trash can So here's how the Miami News Covered it On Tuesday, Jonathan Rand, a Miami news reporter, breathlessly announced the Miami Screaming Eagles have reached in a multi year contract with Bernie Perrant of the National Hockey League Toronto Maple Leafs. In making the announcement, Les Patrick, the youthful general manager of the WHA franchise, said that details of the agreement would be announced at the formal signing of the contract, which is expected to take place two PM next Sunday at the offices of the Screaming Eagles, located At the merchandise mart, sounds almost like uh early version of Walmart. The contract with the with piranha is believed to be five years of duration and for a figure as high as seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And of course they go on to say that his signing might touch off a rating war between the two competing hockey leagues, similar to the uh United States two pro basketball leagues. Now, as all this is going on, I start to think back to when Bernie first came to the Maple Leafs in the trade, and then last fall when he had the bit of contract dispute, and it was said that Bernie had agreed to a two- or three-year deal with the Maple Leafs. Well, if that was the case, This would be the first year of at least a two-year deal, or maybe the first of three. How could he possibly sign a contract with the WHA when he would be legally under contract to the Maple Leafs for this next season, 72-73? And the WHA had readily admitted they would not go after any player who was under contract. Clarence Campbell has said Bernie Perrant has a legal contract. What was going on with that? Well, we finally found out later on in the week just what was going on here. And this just boggles your mind. A lot of people I don't think, even to this day, maybe realized what was going on. But Harold Ballard came out again and said that the Leafs, would try and take legal action to prevent Perrant from leading the NHL. But Ballard put a kibosh on that when he said he doesn't have any plans to take court action. His excuse was nobody ever won anything in court. He said that he was against Perrant's signing with Miami. But what can I do about it? Well, Harold, if Bernie has a valid contract for a couple of years, then you should be able to, to uh, keep them with you. Well, here's the bombshell that came out from Harold Ballard. He said that Perron had agreed to play for the May Police through the end of the 1972-73 season but it was only a handshake agreement and a proper contract was never signed. And can you imagine how Clarence Campbell feels about this? He's being made to look like an idiot because Campbell always gave you the impression he knew the exact terms of every contract of every player that ever signed in the NHL since he'd been president. This really is a serious gaffe by the Maple Leafs, by Ballard in particular, And that was going to open the door for Bernie to defect to the new league. There was another signing that was noteworthy early in the week. But this was a player highly coveted by the WHA who decided to throw his lot with an established National Hockey League team. The National Hockey League Detroit Red Wings signed U.S. Olympic star Henry Boucher to a two-year contract beating out the St. Paul Fighting Saints of the recently organized World Hockey Association. General Manager Ned Harkness said he went after Boucher, the Wings' number two choice, last June in the NHL Amateur Draft because, quote, Coach Johnny Wilson told me he wanted him. The 20-year-old center, native of World, Minnesota, said he decided to sign with Detroit because he had always been a Red Wings fan. While terms of the contract were not disclosed, Harkness admitted a bonus was involved and Boucher was expected to join the Wings for practice on Tuesday afternoon. Now, at the time, we didn't pay a lot of attention to this particular story, but it must have been kind of significant, I guess, because this story was in the Toronto Globe and Mail, although it comes from the wire surface United Press International. Herb Brooks, former star of U.S. national hockey teams and assistant coach at the University of Minnesota, was appointed as Minnesota's head hockey coach for the 1972-73 season. Athletic director Paul Guile announced Brooks will succeed. Ken Yackel, who came in as an interim coach after Glenn Somnor left in December, to head the Minnesota Fighting Saints of the WHA. Brooks said he had offers from the Atlanta club of the WHA. Well, that there was no Atlanta club of the WHA. That's the uh, NHL. And he had an offer from Sumner of the WHA as well. He said Sunmore gave him a somewhat attractive offer to head the club scouting program, but I cannot get it out of my heart that I want to coach is what Herb's response was. So we had some Eddie Shack news this week. Uh, at 35 when most hockey players are at least half a step slower Fast Eddie seems he's faster than he's ever been as a matter of fact the veteran forward of the Sabres sped out of Memorial Auditorium before Sunday night's loss to the Montreal Canadiens even started and that's going to cost them some money when Gilbert Perot was unable to play because of a sore back which hampered him in the warm-ups a call for Shaq went out over the public address system and yes I remember that quite well I heard the announcement we were all wondering would Eddie Shaq please report to the Sabres dressing room and we wondered what the heck was going on Shaq who had been in the building earlier apparently departed for parts unknown after coach Joe Crozier had told him he wouldn't be playing in this game he didn't answer the public address system call, and the Sabres played the game one man under the 19-player limit. Shaq met Freddie Hunt, the Sabers' acting GM, and was notified that he was under suspension indefinitely. Hunt said, I told him to go home and stay there until he's ready to play hockey. Well, by Wednesday afternoon, Eddie Shack was back in the good graces of Coach Joe Crozier. Crozier told uh, the, the same u uh, p i press uh, wire service that Eddie Shack's suspension had been lifted. The coach said Shack will make the trip to Chicago for the game against Chicago Blackhawks. Shack received the expansion after failing to report. Uh, he apparently had a decent explanation. And uh, the Sabres also don't have that many real NHL-quality bodies. Eddie Shack is at least that. So he has been reinstated. When asked for a comment, Eddie told the press, I have nothing to say. And that may have been a first for Eddie Shack. The hockey headlines in the Vancouver Sun Tuesday uh, screened big news that to me seemed... A really, really big deal, though I didn't quite understand why. Hockey executives charged $3 million theft alleged. And here's what it was about. The two top officers of Northwest Sports Entertainment Limited, the owners, actually the operators of the Vancouver Canucks, had been accused of stealing three million dollars. Thomas Scallon and Lyman Walters were charged with theft on an information sworn out by the British Columbia Securities Commission investigator Andrew Campbell. Both also face a second charge of issuing a false prospectus. No date had been set for their appearances in provincial court. However, a spokesman told the Vancouver Sun that they will likely be brought to court in the near future. Scallon is president and treasurer of Northwest Sports, and Walters, senior vice president of the firm, they have some specific charges against them. The charges are making, circulating, or publishing a prospectus that they knew to be false in a material particular with intent to induce members of the public to become shareholders in a company to wit, Northwest Sports Enterprises, and this took place between August 1st and December 31st, 1970. The second charge is the death of approximately $3 million, the property of Northwest Sports Enterprises Limited, on or about December 15th, 1970. The theft charges against the two men was laid under the Canadian Criminal Code, while the second allegation is laid under the Canadian Securities Act. And of course, Scallon and Lyman are high-ranking officers in the American company MediCorps, which technically owns Northwest Sports Entertainment with a bunch of Canadian people. And this uh, will throw the whole ownership of the Canucks into a lot of disarray, I would imagine. This would indeed be a story that would bear watching And yet another example of how the NHL was being run 50 years ago The type of men that were running teams in the NHL But this was nothing new The NHL had been run like this since 1917, and even before it was founded as we have seen And it's going to be run this way for probably another 50 years, maybe more Greed, incompetence, an outnote, idiocy, a lack of uh, regard for the people who follow the sport. This is all about old white men making money. Now, hockey has to be the greatest game ever been able to be invented because it's been able to survive the old white men who run it. And Make no mistake, I'm an old white man, and I'm really at times ashamed to be part of that demographic. Thank you. Hey Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Basketball Association, is just too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for Huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Enter promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 or over. A minimum age and location requirements do vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. And this is void. where prohibited. And a minimum $5 deposit is required. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text... Uh, the TN red line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. And in New York, you can call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. The middle of the week saw what was probably the most significant trade of the season, especially as how it affected uh, at least one of the teams involved. The Bruins announced that they traded defenseman Rick Smith, right winger Reggie Leach, and a minor league player to the California Golden Seals for defenseman Carl Vadnan and another player. Milt Schmidt, the general manager of the Bruins, in announcing the trade, said that it also involves young defenseman Bob Stewart, who is playing for the Bruins Oklahoma City uh, club in the Central Hockey League, and a young player playing for Baltimore in the AHO belonged to Oakland young Don O'Donohue. The Bruins, who were in uh, Oakland, said that uh, Vadney would suit up to play for them immediately, and uh, Schmidt also said, we really hated to part with the three young players, Smith, Leach, and Stewart, but we had to give up something to get something like Vadney. Then, too, we thought we could go high to get him because we'd have trouble protecting all our young players in next June's expansion draft anyhow. So the big name on the uh, trade board for this season was Carol Vadney and he becomes a Boston Bruin. And it was revealed a little while later that the Maple Leafs had offered the Seals five players. For Vadanay, including their prized rookie, Rick Kehoe, along with a couple of young defensemen. Uh, apparently the Seals were going were going to be allowed to choose two of any of the three young defensemen, or number of young defensemen for the Maple Leafs. Rick Lee, Jim Dory, and Mike Pellick were three that uh, had been offered in uh, the deal, and there were other players involved as well. We also had a bit of WHA news out of Chicago this week. Bob Verdi of the Chicago Tribune. Uh, in response to authoritative whispers that the Chicago Cougars had died even before birth, the Tribune compiled the following progress report on Chicago's still invisible franchise in the WHA. First, A league official disclosed from California headquarters that the Cougars have two weeks to obtain a playing site for next year or Chicago might lose the team to another city. However, Dick Smith, the Cougars executive vice president, said that the team is not only very close to negotiations with the international amphitheater, but that announcement of a coach and GM for the squad should be made within no more than three weeks. Finally, a spokesman for the amphitheater said that he had not been in recent contract contact with the Cougars brass and that if the team hopes to use the building that furnishing ice will have to be their problem not ours he added that there is no reason not to be optimistic that hockey could not succeed in the amphitheater however the WHA official who revealed the leasing deadline of March 6th was Dennis Murphy the executive vice president of the league at least that's the title they're giving him in this particular story Every story I read has Murphy having a, another another sort of imaginary title. Murphy apparently said if they don't find a place in time, we might have to look elsewhere. My understanding, Dennis went on to say until I hear otherwise, is that everything is still a go in Chicago, but there are other areas that would like to have a team, and it has been learned by the Tribune that Indianapolis, Greensboro, North Carolina, Louisville, Providence are all interested in joining the existing 12-team league which, of course, plans to begin playing in October. Interesting that Providence is in there because the New England whalers approached the city of Providence about playing their games in that city, and they were quickly rejected. So there's a lot of conflicting uh, information going on these days about the WHA, and this is just another one of those. There, of course, seems to be a ton of... uh, interest in games between Canadian professionals and European teams, especially the Russians. And, uh, well, the Tsar of international hockey, Bunny Ahern, usually the, the villain in all these international hockey stories because he was a villain, uh, he appeared, according to Canadian Press, to be lending his approval to the concept. According to CP, Bunny Ahern uh, confirmed Monday that Canada's hockey professionals and European teams may engage in exhibition matches sometime during 1972. Now, Fred Page, Canada's vice president, on the International Ice Hockey Federation told Canadian press during the recent Winter Olympic Games in Japan that such an exhibition arrangement was in the making, possibly as early as May. Ahern added, however, he doubts that Canada would ever return to compete at an international level because the conditions that prompted the country to withdraw in 1970 have not changed. Well, NHL president Clarence Campbell was a little more definitive with his response to a Hearns comment. The president of the NHL, uh, they met in Toronto, uh, with he met in Toronto this week with Bunny Ahern, uh to discuss an interlocking play between the NHL and European teams. However, Mister Campbell said no decisions or agreements have yet been reached. Campbell said we talked up about the possibility of setting up an interlocking schedule with the NHL and European teams, but we didn't come to any agreement. We just discussed possibilities and we reviewed the World Hockey situation, not to be confused with the World. World hockey Association. Bunny Ahern, who stopped uh, in uh, Toronto on the way home uh, to England from Japan, said he had discussed a proposed Canada European hockey tournament with Charles Hay, who's the head of Hockey Canada. The uh, prospect of such a Canada European canadian european exhibition tournament had of course been mentioned by fred page as we had mentioned to you so there's talking they're talking they're not playing they're not even planning to play but they're talking maybe something uh, could come along maybe they need to get a guy like alan eagleson involved to get the players on board maybe he could be the catalyst to make this thing happen Bobby Bond is having a tough week. He was rushed to Wellesley Hospital when the lease plane touched down at Toronto International Airport after their 5-4 loss to Detroit this week. Bob suffered an eight-stitch cut at eye level on the left side of his nose and then a broken nose as well in a freak third-period accident. He was hit by the Red Wing uh, Guy Charon's flying stick after Red Berenson had tied the score in the third period. In the first period, Bond stopped the shot with his left ankle. Now it's feared that, like his nose, the ankle's busted as well. X-rays will be taken to determine the full extent of his injuries. It was just one of those weird things that happened. Apparently, Sharon's stick flew loose after he was checked by Pierre Jerry on the scoring play by Berenson. Uh, Jerry apologized to Bond for inadvertently causing the injuries and Bob said, forget it. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Please just keep checking those guys when you can. Of course, Bob's most famous injury was a broken ankle that he suffered in the 1964 Stanley Cup playoffs. Removed from the ice in the third period on a stretcher, Bob returned and scored the winning goal in overtime in one of the legendary stories of Maple Leaf hockey in the Stanley Cup playoffs. A scary situation at St. Petersburg, Florida in the Eastern Hockey League this week. Roanoke Valley hockey player Bobby Gindon suffered head injuries in a collision with an opposing player Tuesday night. Well, he actually stopped breathing on the ice after the collision, but a doctor was on the scene and he applied what was described in the news story as chest massage, basically CPR. Uh, He did that while Gindon lay prone on the ice. Firemen were on the scene and they used a resuscitator and they got Gindon back breathing again. And uh, he was taken to hospital where he was immediately placed in intensive care. The good news is that a few days later, Gindon was actually removed from intensive care and he would end up continuing his hockey career. Now, there are two Bobby Gindons that we know about, one that had played for the Montreal Junior Canadians and he ended up playing a bit in the NHL and in the WHA. This particular fellow, uh, we don't have any of his junior stats available, but he did play in the Eastern Hockey League for several years with Salem, New Haven, uh, Roanoke, uh, and then in the North American Hockey League, he played uh, for a year with the Cape Cod Cubs, as well as a decent scorer, pretty uh, interesting story that he was able to continue, and he actually played uh, uh, pro hockey until the end of the 1975 season. Well, it looks like we have another group that are going to apply for a National Hockey League franchise as Cincinnati group of businessmen headed by Brian Heeking said it would ask the NHL for a franchise for the 1974-75 season. The group plans to build a combination arena for hockey and basketball that would be located right next to Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Heeking said the Cincinnati City Council has adopted a resolution supporting the construction of a major league hockey basketball facility so maybe we could see the uh, Cincinnati uh, City in the big leagues in the NHL. Not the kind of headlines a hockey player wants to make. Derek Sanderson, the star center of the Boston Bruins has had his less than one minute part in an x-rated film deleted from showings in the united states the film entitled loving and laughing has been a hit in montreal where it is being shown with sanderson's part included it is scheduled to open in boston next week but at sanderson's request without the segment That features his appearance. The segment shows Sanderson going to a rock party, claiming to be a scout for a girls hockey team. Morris Atlas, uh, associate producer for the film, said Sanderson's part is not the least bit offensive, but the movie itself is a controversial one. And Morris says, I think that Derek has second thoughts about appearing in it. The filming of Sanderson's part was done in one day in Montreal in August of 1970. And at that time, he was in a salary dispute with the Boston Bruins. So we won't be seeing Derek Sanderson in the X-rated movie Loving and Laughing. After that big trade, later in the week that Carol Vadney had been sent to the Bruins, Munson Campbell, the vice president of the Seals, announced he was resigning from the team. And there were very strong rumors that general manager Gary Young would be close behind. Now, we'll have more of this later on. Uh, This comes from the fact that uh, Munson and Young both said that Toronto made a better offer to the Seals for Vadney then did the Bruins. And we had told you about this uh, offer by the Maple Leafs of the five-for-one deal. Well, Munson was... uh, His uh, leaving the Seals was very very damaging for a lot of reasons. He was the guy that actually went to bat with the NHL governors to allow Finley to become the owner of the Seals. And even Munson, who championed Finley's cause, had enough of the guy's BS, and he just couldn't take it anymore, and he has left the Seals, and it looks like now Charlie Finley will be running things on his own Gary Young already knows he's just a figurehead, which probably a good thing because Gary Young was no hockey genius either. As the week drew to a closer was a bombshell announcement from the Soviet Union hockey announcement, that is, Although not the surprise it could have been, this had sort of been rumored in the background during the Olympics. The Soviet Union's hockey bosses confirmed a widespread rumor when they announced that Anatoly Tarasov and Arkady Chernyshev, the coaches of their immensely successful national team, had been dismissed less than two weeks after winning a third consecutive Olympic gold medal. Tarasov and Chernyshev were the most productive coaches in the post-war international hockey era, having captured 12 world or Olympic titles since 1956, including the last 10 in succession. They will be replaced by Yuzhavov Bobrov and Nikolai Pushkov former star players with the national side, beginning at the IIHF 1972 World Championships in Prague, In March. Now, one might reasonably could have predicted all this. Uh, Tarasov was quite the darling of the Western media, always accessible, quick with a quote, and it could be said that he was the face of Russian hockey. He'd even published a book widely distributed in North America, I bought a copy myself, called Russian Hockey Secrets. In Russia, however, the individual has no place at the front of any scenario. Tarasov was simply getting too big too popular if you will for his own good so for the greater good of the country of the motherland the russians would have us believe he's removed to be replaced with some other good soldiers who will make the team even better so you win an olympic gold medal and you get fired i shudder to think what they would have done to terazov had he lost And here's a story out of Ontario, I believe Ottawa, uh, Resolution of a lawsuit uh, And it involves the sport of hockey A county court judge ruled That injury is part of the game of hockey He dismissed the suit Claiming more than $11,000 For a five-year-old hockey injury Judge A.E. Honeywell Made the ruling in dismissing A claim brought by William Kundell Of Ottawa against Mike West A hockey player now living in Toronto Amateur player In a writ issued April 13, 1970 Mr. Kundell claimed he received a broken lower jaw after he was body checked in a hockey game on March 11th. 1967. At that time, he was playing for Ritchie Sports Shop against Ottawa Imperials at the Ottawa Auditorium in the now defunct Cradle Hockey League. Mr. Kundell claimed an opposing player, Mr. West, hit him with a hockey stick without any cause whatever. And that's in quotes. The assault was deliberately, willfully, and intentionally inflicted, the writ stated. Mr. Kundell was taken to the General Hospital in an ambulance and spent the next four days in the facility. Two days after the injury, the jaw was wired. A letter from plastic surgeon Dr. George Walker to Mr. Kundel's lawyer, Bernard Manton, stated that the first seven to ten days following the fracture of the mandible, lower jaw, the involved area was quite painful. There is a following period of five to six weeks of uncomfortableness while the interdental wiring remained in place. Following this a period of approximately three or four days when again there is moderately severe discomfort in the mouth area. The wiring was removed six weeks after the surgery and two teeth were removed and replaced by a partial plate. In a writ issued June 25th 1970 Mr. Kundell said he was still complaining about a numbness which causes many inconveniences. Mr. West denied the assault. A writ from May 4th, 1971, filed by Mr. West's lawyer, Gerald Moran, stated injuries were sustained during the normal course of the said ice hockey game and they constituted injuries the plaintiff kundal should reasonably have anticipated the injuries were entirely accidental the writ conclude continued and mr west did come in bodily contact with the plaintiff but states as the fact is that the said bodily contact was normal a usual and proper part of this game of ice hockey to which the plaintiff consented, not said here, but simply by participating. In other words, you consent to get your jaw broken just by lacing on your skates and going on the ice. Well, guess what? The judge in this case, Mr. Honeywell, agreed. Hockey is a game of physical contact, he said. The game invites body contact. Judge Honeywell had assessed the damages to mister Cundell at one thousand and thirty dollars and forty five cents out of pocket expenses and three thousand in general damages, but mister Cundell will not get the money. He will, however, have to pay from five hundred to six hundred dollars in court costs. Now, I really have to wonder just what quality of these lawyers are the judge says hockey's a game of physical contact and that you agreed to be injured when you play the game well he was injured when he was hit by a stick and there are very specific rules in the game that permit or prevent players from hitting other players with the sticks you would probably be uh I guess agreeing to be body checked legally, but there is nothing in agreeing to be injured illegally. And that's what happened in this case. And I can't believe that a learned judge would come to a conclusion like this. And that's our show this week, everyone. What did we learn this time around? Well, looks like Bernie Prontz going to the WHA And the Leafs won't be trying any legal means to thwart the move because they didn't even have a contract and they don't have a leg to stand on. The Red Wings signed U.S. Olympian Henry Boucher, who had been a major target of the WHA, and that seems to be a blow to their plans. And maybe the biggest story of the week, although we didn't know at the time, the American owners of the Vancouver Canucks are now facing criminal charges in Canada. Well, we got a few stories going on next week. Apparently, Bernie Pront is going to fly to Miami, and he's going to participate in a press conference. Is he going to sign? We'll see. We'll get a story next week on a very successful junior coach who might have a future in the NHL, and the new New York Islanders franchise will name some employees for the first time, and... I knew one of these guys pretty good who became their chief scout. We'll tell you all about that next week as well. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank him enough for all his hard work. Uh, Andy can do a podcast for you. He puts them together professionally himself. Get a hold of me if you want to get something started. Uh, Andy uh, also does all the music and the... uh, Sound effects, uh, any music you hear there, he's actually uh, written himself. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, does provide the intro and exit music. Uh, they're going to tour again this year in the United States, hopefully in Canada as well. They've got a couple of new songs out on... Uh, uh, the internet right now. I think you can get them on YouTube. One is named Can Do. Uh, Google them. Uh, they put on a great high energy show if you ever get a chance to see them. Our research comes from files of the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail and of course the many publications found at newspapers.com. One of our sponsors, other sponsors, we have the Breakwell Brewing Company, beautiful downtown Port Covert, Ontario. If you ever get to the Niagara region, Go to the Breakwall in Port Cobra and I'll meet you for a beer and a burger. You can find us every day on Twitter at hockey 50 years on Facebook under the 50 years ago on hockey banner. We have a WordPress site, hockey 50 Yearsago.com. We're here every week on the hockey podcast network, and you can get us through your favorite podcast app. Thanks again to everyone who tunes in every week. Things are really starting to heat up in the hockey world as we move through 1972. And we hope you're going to be with us all the way. And on that note, we'll see you next time. When the ice cream